Alright then, if I can do it, you can do it too. How many times this sentence caused me troubles? And I believe this is the last one. I still can't believe I've been talked into making a podcast. My beloved students challenge me and dare me to see how can I produce a podcast. And probably is the reason why they launched their own podcast. So I believe I was kind of the guinea pig so they could learn from my mistakes and also try to work together on something that is a little bit unconventional. And I believe one of the promoter of this was actually our very own producer, Gary Moran. Hi. My name is Gianluca Cinquepalmi, you're listening to GLC Live, my podcast dedicated to business design. I'm an educator, design entrepreneur, and best-selling author. In this show, I challenge designers, creatives, and entrepreneurs to unravel the complexities between business and design. In this episode, why the hell I started a podcast with Gary Moran. Okay, so you you can't believe you're doing a podcast. I can't believe I'm studying graphic design because I came here for an open day. I came from Shenzhen for the day, intending to study photography. And through some twist of fate, I was directed to go and speak to a man called Gianluca Cinquepalmi on some higher up floor. And I went and found him and I told him that... Um, I'm a videographer, my background's in storytelling and visual narrative, and I'm really interested in photography because I want to understand the fundamentals of aesthetics in a better way than I do now. And he started speaking for what seemed like a very long time. And now, Not unusual. yeah, and now a year later, here I am studying graphic design somehow <laughs> with no <laughs> former uh, inclination. And it was a great decision. It was a really good decision. So I'm here learning about things I didn't know I needed to know. Mm. And I think for a lot of people, that's their relationship with design. They don't know that if they knew it, their life would be better. Yes, I agree. And I think that's where design thinking comes from, right? So this, this, you you are yeah you you are touching an exposed nerve we say meaning that design thinking is an amazing tool what i think about uh, the latest approach towards design thinking is that it became like like in many other fields they become buzzwords and when we can say that that a complex theme it's generalized and is uh is made popular um you lose a lot right so i've been a practitioner of design thinking i've been studying design thinking um what i disagree with the classical definition of design thinking is that it's now becoming 
a panacea or like, oh, do these five things and you will become an amazing thinker and, and whatever you do, it doesn't matter what you produce, doesn't matter what kind of service you're providing, just do this and y- your company is going to become a Fortune 500. And that's not true. It's just plainly not true. Now, can this practice become really good and, and applied and, and useful? Absolutely. Uh, design thinking per se, uh, it, it's just a definition. It's a definition. It, it's like user experience, you know, like what's the difference between user experience and computer-aided design? Mindfulness. Uh, mindfulness. Yeah. <laughs> so many, so many different things. So we change the wording of things, but the substance is still the same, is how do you approach business in a different way? Um, there is another component that when we say thinking, it doesn't imply doing. And it's like, oh, design thing. You should think as a designer. It was like, I disagree with that. And so I think I started 10 years ago with this uh, concept of how do you integrate business and design? Because they seem on very different planes. And my background is very different than the classic creative director. I come from an engineering background. I love strategy and strategy was the the path that I took. And and I just ended up doing a lot of strategy for design companies. And and I founded a branding and strategic design company where I applied uh unconventional strategies you can call it i remember in my early days i called it strategic engineering which it was it was another interesting catchy word it was like oh, what's strategic engineering and and of course greater companies like ideo continuum these great um consultancies they were talking about strategic design so how do you use design as a strategical asset for a company and i think nowadays and I talk about this in, in my book, um, there is another practice or is emerging now that we have more knowledge is emerging another practice that we can call business design. And is a, in my opinion, is, is a more interesting approach to what we call design thinking. So how do we actually design a business, right? I have this definition that it came to me not long, I have to say, but um, I was, once again, I, I get so much from my peers and colleagues and students and they ask me, okay, so define this in, in four words. And my the, the synthesis of everything is traditionally design is implemented. Sorry, traditionally business is implemented, design is discovered. So when you try to invert the matrix, how do you discover business? And in the world that we are living today, where, you know, people are yearning for innovation, uh, new generations are trying to find roots, and, and companies are trying to figure out this crazy market, because now there is no rule, like, like, in 24 hours you can become a, an internet success and then you need to be ready to you know, ship your 
10,000 products when your average shipping rate was 10. And it, it's a really big challenge just because, you know, you started trending or you started doing an activity that, that, that went really well online. Therefore, how do you approach that? And so I would define business design as the intersection of three main disciplines, which is corporate strategy or strategy, branding, and human-centered design. So at the junction of these three practices exists a new practice that I call business design. So just to just to clarify, I think what you're saying is that, or oh, I think what, what you've just got at is that with design thinking, it's often something that's added later, right? People have a business, they have a plan, they have a product, and it doesn't sell. And they think, ooh, let's use some design thinking and fix this. Whereas business design, as you conceive of it, is more like approaching a business problem with the tools used to solve problems by designers, right? So actually from the fundamentals, from the ground up, looking at how those tools can help people to, to succeed in business. Absolutely. Now, the huge difference, like I said, I, I revert back to my original definition design is implemented. So what does it mean to implement? Sorry, again, business is implemented. Um, you have known facts, you have Lego bricks, and you stack them one on top of the other, and you build something. Every little bit of these Lego bricks is known. A great designer or a good designer doesn't have Lego bricks, right? They, they say, okay, take some leaves, take some mud and make a house. <laughs> so that's the huge difference, right? So, and it's super scary. The problem and, and why it's so hard to scale this idea, and, and it is an idea, I would call it a philosophy, but it's actually an idea, is that you need to embrace unknown it's like i remember the face of my clients every time it was like oh we want to do this brand blah 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 or we want to do this packaging or we want to do this product what do you think and i was like i don't know well but can you make a great product and i said yes i can make a great product how i don't know at this moment because it is a research it is a development it is something that i need to discover i need to allow the design process to guide me to the solution, right? And this is uncomfortable. And most of the companies that need to invest money and they have uh, millions of dollars or billions of dollars on the line, on the stake, and they are looking at their stakeholder when there is the stakeholder quarter meeting, they can say, oh, we don't exactly know what our next product rollout will be but we are on a good path because we understand our consumer really well. So, so assuming I'm a big client of yours then, and, and I'm having this conversation with yes. you, right? I've, I've got a new uh, idea. I want to start selling to a new demographic. And you've just told me you don't know what that's going to look like, that you need time to, to use the design process to come up with those ideas. So 
what does that look like then once we go once we leave that meeting and you begin that process how does that look so i go to starbucks i get a coffee i get in my pajama <laughs> and i wait for the idea to strike <laughs> no it's not just true. sit on youtube <laughs> and hope inspiration comes there are a lot of there are a lot of studies actually that say pro, uh, manage procrastination can can yield good creative ideas um it's a great question so i think this is why i wrote the book at the at the beginning so what happened was at one point in my career i i fell into a um, a status where i didn't really know why projects or or products or services that i designed they were very successful and i despised them and I, I really hated what I've done and we all done it. You know, it was for the money. Yeah, I had a fairly big agency, so you need to pay salaries, you need to pay uh, rent. So you need to get jobs, right? You need to get projects and not necessarily all the time you are 100% uh, happy with, with, with the outcome. And, and sometimes when I was really unhappy with the outcome, then we look at the how this product or service was perceived and it was an amazing success in other in other times when i designed something i thought oh my god this is the coolest thing ever and we worked super hard on it and we just launched the product and failed miserably just crashing to the ground and that became extremely puzzling for me i was like i, I don't understand what's yeah. this if you don't mind me bringing this up, there was one particular example you told us of this the other day, and I could see the pain <laughs> on your face. Yeah, Do you yeah. want to explain really briefly? Um, well, th that that particular example I cannot disclose, but okay. but is the, the uh, uh, there were hundreds of them, like right. you know brochures and and uh motorbikes or or other designs that we did and and projects that we believed we were absolutely crazy on doing the uh, you know the fiat bag was one of the early ideas that we worked together um and and we never believed this would actually see the light of day and and, and it did and it became quite popular and successful and um the bigger the clients, the more demands of certainty. So how do you, and, and this was, was a big challenge. How do you map and how do you explain something that is an intangible, like creativity is intangible. Like how do you map a process that sometimes is very structured, sometimes is not. Uh, Munari, uh, one of the, you know, pillars of Italian design in the 60s. Uh, explain this in with the recipe of green rice. Uh, just look it up. It's amazing. You know, Riso Verde. And this was before the times of design thing, which is a pragmatic and programmatic approach to design. And um, so I started mapping uh, a lot of features and I started analyzing every single specific project that I've done from, you know, Nespresso to Sony to uh, 
to Kinder, to Likam Key, which is a local brand, and and trying to understand what happened. Uh, was it a big project? Was it a small project? Was it well paid? Uh, was not well paid? Where were were we in a crash of time? Uh, we had a lot of time. What kind of people worked on it? it was the best people, not the not the so good people? No? And I started trying to identify dynamics and principles and saying, okay, let me understand why, why something succeeded. And I figured out that basically there are five fundamental principles of what we call business design. And the best project that I produced turned out to be the one that had these five principles balanced between each other and also every project that started with a certain development sequence, very specific development sequence, yield the best result. So these five principles are character, so the ability of being unique and present the values in a unique way so that the people have the perception that whatever the service or product is different than the norm, mm -hmm. right? So what is the character of a product or service or so, institution? So yeah. Apple, for example, is Apple. a brand with very high character, yes. right? People feel like they have a very clear idea Used of, to be. of what Apple, <laughs> <laughs> of what Apple stood for, right? And, and, and is a great example, no? Apple was the underdog. And when it started becoming not so much the underdog, they made a trillion dollars. So the dimension of success also really much depends on, on with what lens you look at it, mm. right? So, so, so we have character. We have character. The second is? The second is desire. So how are you communicating these values and how much you are understanding what your consumers are truly, um, what they want, what they truly want, not what they need, but what they truly want. And so, so high desire brands would be like Ferrari, for Ferrari, example. Ferrari, it could be, you know, Louis Vuitton, but not necessarily. It could be Ikea is a highly desirable brand. Why? Because it's really clear the values of Ikea. Mm. Ikea, it's it's really desirable. Why? Because it's really good design at a very affordable price. Now, desirability is intrinsically linked to the outcome of what you want. So what you want is not a new pair of jeans. What you want is me, oh my God, Gary, you lost so much weight. You look amazing in those jeans. That's what you really want. You don't need another pair of jeans. None of us need another pair of jeans because we probably have five, six jeans in our, and we don't need another one, but we want another one. But we don't want the product itself. We want the result, the result mm -hmm. right? So that's desirability. So it's something usable, useful, and attainable because you know i do want an helicopter but it's not going to help with your commute but it's not going to help you with my commute <laughs> right 
and you know is in and and in in a way i also talk about envy in a way there's our ability it's, it's super interesting yes <laughs> um read the book <laughs> there's a lot to know in the book <laughs> We could and do we could do an hour on each of these, hour, right? Yes, so, absolutely. So maybe the, we should. Maybe, yeah, maybe we should. So the third one. The third one is empathy. Right. Do you actually connect? And last year, serendipitous, we have been working a lot on empathy together. Um, so understanding what your target or client or users or or public or audience truly need no so desire is want empathy is need so and also so what's a what's an example of a brand that would be high in empathy oh, there are many microsoft uh-huh. <laughs> like i would say uh, when you see the latest work that they've done with their gaming controls i mean if you if you contrast desire and empathy i think apple and microsoft are probably quite good examples of that right absolutely apple will give you the beautiful machine that you feel really good taking out of the box and microsoft will give you the thing that keeps your business running yeah right pretty much um empathy is also how do you tap in the same values no i have some values right and i understand that not everybody has the same values that i have and 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 i understand that and and i try to connect with my audience in a much deeper level and i would say that this this very podcast is an example like i never i thought i was doing enough i thought the fact that i've been writing an entire book and putting it out there and saying okay guys this is this is my knowledge in in 160 pages and people were like yeah but you know mm, can you tell us can you tell us <laughs> <laughs> and it is it is so mm-hmm. so you you something i never thought about but i i i have to if i want to to really respect my audience and 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 I have to do the, what my audience requires. So understanding also their need, but on a deeper level, on a understanding that what format I'm going to do, why why my broken Italian accent is interesting for people to listen to because because it's an effort, right? And um, and and this links to our fourth element, which is also trust. So how do you, this is the, the worst uh, definition. How do you build trust? Are you, do you gain trust? So trust, trust is easily lost and really hard to gain. And, and we gain trust, but it's not true. No, there is a huge misconception about trust. You don't earn trust. You demonstrated you are trustworthy. This is a huge change, shift. And this is one of the hardest things that I had to explain to companies, right? It's like, oh, the people trust us. And I was like, how do you know that? So trust, how do, how do we demonstrate that we are trustworthy, right? Honest, reliable, 
and competent. These are the three things. Honest. Do you do what you say you do? Right? Are you competent? Do you actually have the skills to represent that? And reliable. Are you constantly performing at the same level? Or if you are not, can you explain why not? So so this is something that, for example, a lot of financial institutions might use yes. in their in their branding or yes. even governments. Absolutely. Right? Absolutely. I would love to do a government branding at one point. And and this is this is a downfall. Like if if you focus only on the outwards, which is how do I gain this instead of what do I have to do to show this? How do I gain trust is I need to take something from you. While if I'm demonstrating that I'm trustworthy, I'm giving something to you. It's a huge paradigm shift. So that that seems to me very linked to the fifth concept of consistency. Because Absolutely. surely you you demonstrate that you are trustworthy by being consistently trustworthy, right? By having a product that is of consistent quality by demonstrating that every time you do something, it's done in a way that that really meets the needs of the, the user. Yes, but also the ability to embrace failure, right? So a lot of companies never embrace failure. They, they don't, they don't, and this is the, the, the perfect example is Kickstarter. Like before Kickstarter, nobody thought I'm going to basically show my audience that I have an idea and it's not done and it's not finished. And there is a risk that this idea would never see the, the light of the day. Uh, and, and I'm asking them to buy on paper basically, and buy into my idea, and it's insane. Like, if if you go back to the 60s and you read any economical book, this makes no sense. Microeconomics, it makes no sense. But somebody said, actually, I think if we communicate well and we, if we are open enough to say, hey, guys, we tried this, we made some mock-ups, we make some prototypes, it works, but I need your support to go in mass production. Now, what happens, and I was uh, also one of this cheated, let's call it cheated, quote, quote, you know, a product, I, I, I bought several products on Kickstarter, Kickstarter, a couple of them when came in late, and it, it was okay, I wasn't that bothered. One particular product never shipped. And, and the community went mad, not because the product is not shipping, but because the pro that company said the product is ready and look how amazing. And they did this hyper-produced video because they had money probably, and they hired this very famous designer to design the product. I don't want to say the product just because you never know, right? Maybe it'll turn up tomorrow. Maybe it will turn up tomorrow, right? And people got mad because they faked it. 
if they were honest and say, hey, by the way, we have this amazing idea, we think this works, but we are not sure. And it's been two years now that they are sending BS updates like, oh, we are still figuring out. And the worst one I remember, this is so funny. They were like, oh, uh, so our engineers went into vacation for a month and people went ballistic on them. And and this is a perfect example. They would have they would have been fine with it if they just were honest. Just saying, hey, we have this idea, we think it's gonna work, but we are at development one. No. And, and so and, and as you were saying, this links to the fifth element, consistency. So and this is also another controversial element which is a lot of companies confused consistency with being static. So I've been doing this for 40 years. Why should I change? That's not being consistent. That's just being stubborn. Stubborn. <laughs> stubborn, is a good, stubborn is a good one. But, but it's also being fearful fearful of change being consistent means means being able to renew your value constantly right your value can change your personality changes you know the concept of impermanence is a beautiful concept and and, and sometimes companies should embrace that right so and, Yes. So when you talk about brands getting consistency wrong, to to me, the first thing that makes me think of as a millennial is every time I read an article that says millennials are killing the freeze-dried fast food industry or whatever. And it's it, oh, pet food is a great one. I saw millennials are killing the pet food industry. Why? Well, because they're Googling nutrition and they're finding out that if you feed your dog something terrible in a can, it's not good for the dog right sure but as far as the company sees it they're consistent they've been putting out the same product it was fine before why is it not fine now but the times have changed the way people doctors used to say that smoking was good yeah uh, companies used to build um, warehouses with ethernet which causes cancer whereas if you look at a reliable <laughs> technology company for example you often see consistency. Their product has to change because the pace of their industry is so fast. But the quality, Absolutely. the way it's used, the feel, everything else remains relatively consistent, right? Absolutely. I mean, the, and I, uh, let, let's keep for consistency. Let's talk about Apple and, and, and uh, Microsoft. When, when Apple came out with the iPhone, nobody questioned it. But it was absurd, a computer company making an iPhone, a phone. It's crazy. Right? But but nobody cared because it was like, oh my God, okay. I buy into why you're doing what you're doing. When other companies went away from their core, there was a riot, you know, like Dell doing TVs or something like that. Uh, I'm not sure they ever did, but you know, if another company makes uh, a flat screen TV, 
people react it was like oh why they're doing that you're not an expert an expert right but it's almost like apple's core wasn't computers their core was change yes and so absolutely even though it's a a new type of product and an unusual choice at the time it's consistent with their it was consistent with their dna Mm. right it it wasn't always the same It, it was a purely computer company you know at the time and then the i think because you are not you're young but you don't let's never forget that apple apple got resuscitated by the 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 uh um, the ipod the ipod was what saved apple from bankruptcy right and of course the return of steve jobs etc cetera, etc cetera, but everything started with the ipod because they had an intuition and said oh a lot of our consumers like music and they didn't invent the mp3 player they didn't invented the technology but they just made it better and they they were consistently looking for that like how do we take something and we make it better or we make it more usable uh useful or like you know more available so so being a typical student you you gave me a copy of your book i read half of it <laughs> thank you guys <laughs> i'm still working on it <laughs> but now you, know, you can listen to it <laughs> well exactly but maybe i should launch the audiobook soon mm. <laughs> but in in class the other day obviously what what happened is exactly what you described we were talking and we said okay this is great five elements sure but how do i use it so it wasn't enough to get told here's here's where everything is I, yeah. we needed you to tell us specifically sure how do i integrate this into what i'm doing so i want to pause one second and i want to reveal uh the glc live uh, structure of what you will find in in future episodes so glc live is of course because i'm live and i'm talking but also because i would love every guest and every listener to actively contribute in their development. I want to make a live podcast, okay? So um, if you have the time, pause this podcast and go on glc.live and download the worksheets. And, and so we can start discussing about it. This interlude is sponsored by glc.live. Please visit glc.live. That's glc.live. Or Golf Lima, Charlie Lima, India Victor Eco. Or good lies can live in valleys everywhere. Oh, and one more thing. Don't forget to download the worksheets for this episode. Bye. So the worksheet came to fruition because I wanted to demonstrate in the book an example, a case study. Um, and in full disclosure, they are not a, uh, you know, I don't pretend this to be the panacea once again. It's, it's a thinking tool. Uh, 
so I hate when when designers or consultants say, well, this is the ultimate tool. No. What my goal is to represent a thinking process, right? So what I did in with this worksheet and why do I call worksheet? I created a what I called scorecards. So is is the ability to take ask relevant questions per element. So when we talk about character, we should ask questions as are your values clearly understood? You know, um, what kind of attitude you have? What are the details that you care about? You know, what's, have you been original in uh, your approach? Do you, have you developed a specific strategy? And the way that I break that down is is very simple. If the answer is yes, you gain one point. If your answer is, I'm not so sure, yes or no, I would say you gain half of a point. And if the answer is no, you get zero points. This allows you to look at our spider graph, we can call it, and then come out with a metric. It's like, okay, character has value two, three, four, five. I use the scale from zero to five. You know? So ideal, the, the, the perfect scenario is to have all the five elements scoring five. This is very, very unusual, okay? So we use these scorecards to try to think and to analyze and to have an objective look at what kind of, which of these elements need the most attention. And of course, there is a lot of interaction between each and every single element. You will see that, you know, if, if your character and desirability are particularly low, probably you haven't analyzed truly how you want to demonstrate your trustworthiness, right? So you have to work towards that direction. Uh, there is a chance that if you are the one compiling the worksheet, um, you might have a bias. So it's, like I said, is a tool, is a, is a, I call it a, is a model, right? And, and like every model, whatever it is, the SWOT analysis model or, or the long tail, is, it's something that you use to come up with ideas to come up with, in this specific, specific case, is a strategy. What kind of strategy you can craft based on the, the knowledge that you gain. So, and you, you work your way through all of these scorecards. And once you have the first round, and you don't know how to resolve, let's say, one of these uh, let's say that you are particularly uh, low in desirability. I also added um, what we call the next step of the worksheets, which is prompting questions, even going a little bit deeper. So the first phase is you analyze yourself as is, then you take the time, you start asking even you know harder questions like 
uh, when you when you talk about, for example, values, right? What does your business stands for? Now it's a little bit deeper than have you. So the the, the question is, have you crafted your values? Yes, no. If the answer is no, you can go back and then say, okay, what is your business stands for? Describe the business in one sentence. No, describe and, and I say business, but it could be product, service, institution. Um, describe the business in one word. No, can you distill everything in one word? No. What is the one thing our business wants to communicate or achieve? And so asking even deeper questions. Once you go through this process, you start gaining a more objective view instead of saying, oh, I have a nice logo, so therefore I'm desirable, right? Now, the fun part of this is that once <laughs> when I realized the book, I received a, a considerable amount of emails and saying, I would love to apply this to, to my personal growth, to like my personal development. And, and so and that's what I'm working on right now. So my next book is going to be about how do we apply the model for personal development. Um, so in case, in case anyone hasn't read the, the first book, what was the title? The title of the first book is Business Beyond Design a new model to think strategically, think strategically, foster creativity, and transform business. And it's available on Amazon mainly or on the website for the special edition. Okay, great. Thank you, Professor. Thank you, Gary. GLC Live is produced by Gary Moran and special thanks to Gary Moran. I am Gianluca Cinque Palmi. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe on our podcast on Apple Podcast or wherever you listen to podcasts. For references and links, visit glc.live.